0: You're listening to a Red Bull Podcast. I'm on the corner of Oxford Street and South Dowling Street in Paddington. I'm here with Craig Petrie, otherwise known as Polly Petrie,
1: the doyen yeah, of Oxford Street yeah. drag. is the old bottle shop that turned into a machine room. And there's was the piano bar. This was my front door, which was upstairs. Oh, wow.
0: And we're peering through a window into an old Art Deco building. It's beautiful, but it's not really giving off iconic gay party venue vibes. On the ground floor, there's a medical clinic, and upstairs are apartments.
1: And around this side, uh, this is the main bar, but the main bar, you just get that packed and one Mardi Gras, they barricaded the first lane of traffic over there. Wow. And because of the, it was so packed inside the Aubrey and the footpath, they had to take over the first lane of traffic <laughs> to accommodate, because in those days, 22,000 people were going to Mardi Gras. Yeah. And it was really huge.
0: It's hard to see now, but until 2001, this building housed the Aubrey Hotel, the pub Kylie Minogue once said was the gay bar in Sydney's gay area, Oxford Street.
1: Later on, um, when the rules changed, that room only became, um, could hold 165 people. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: How many people do you reckon you usually got in there on a most oh, popular. we'd life? have,
1: about uh, well, 300 or more.
0: Wow. <laughs> I'm Al Grieg, and this is Red Bull's If These Walls Could Talk, a podcast about the venues, parties, and people that have shaped Sydney's nightlife. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the country on which we record and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This season we focus on the LGBTQI party scene. And you can't talk about that scene without a visit to the gay bars, clubs and hotels of Oxford Street. For years, one of the most popular spots for a wild night out on Oxford Street was the Aubrey Hotel. It was known for huge parties, celebrity clientele, and fabulous drag. And its legacy can still be seen today in drag shows across Sydney. Polly managed the bar and lived upstairs for 12 years.
1: And I'll start with you. go in the front door. Okay. First two windows is where I first moved in, and then the next window is a bathroom, and the other two windows is a room, and the other two windows is a room. Now, just that yes. little door there, number two. Yeah. Oxford Street padding, that was my main interest of the residents upstairs. That later on, where the other rounded window at the front turned into a restaurant, Hog Heaven. Right. That doorway you can see was never there. Okay. I always asked Nanette, could I have that doorway there? She said no. <laughs> and on the left, on the top floor, when you're going along the hallways, a balcony. Right. And the balcony had a little, um, plunge pool in it. <laughs> Did <Dinner. Another laughs> it? the plunge pool was quite relaxing. <laughs> So sometimes there was clothing optional in there. In the jacuzzi. Nice. And when they put it, build the private hospital, that jacuzzi had to go. Because okay. then it didn't want any complaints from, from the hospital about uh, clothing optional. Yeah. They tarred up the top there, one Mardi Gras, all the staff got in the top of that, and they took a photo of us all in there. Oh my gosh, wow. They took it from over where the beach is. So it's just all of us up on the top. Cool. But inside it used to get filthy. But we used to be able to spring if someone had been having um sex under the stars up there. <laughs> <laughs> because we could tell by the ladder being used and also wow. the, all the smudge marks where all that dirt is <laughs> on the turret up there. <laughs> My umbrella plot plane still on the on that there Still upstairs. going strong. Must have been up there since about Forty years ago, a famous, old drag queen, Lorraine Campbell Craig, gave it to me. So, how many people were kind of living in here? It ended up about um, about eight of us living there. Oh, wow! But we are all a family. Like yeah. the show has been done in the centre of the main um, public bar. It was a big, able bar. So, in the centre, chill on that side until on that side, and then in the centre was just a, we just had it, like a mock-up stage with a DJ box behind it. Right. But um, when we had beach parties, we used to get a truck come in and we used to fill the bar with sand. Really? It <laughs> we used to fill it with sand, but after a couple of years, because we always had to drink, uh, rake all the cigarette butts and shit out of the sand. <laughs> <laughs> they found it, a, found it hard to deposit the sand somewhere, so they stopped doing the right. sand for the beach parties. <laughs> we put a, a, a little pool in the middle of the bar where the stage was, and we were outraged. amazing.
0: Business partners Annette Theakston and Lee Jennings opened the bar in 1980 at the height of Oxford Street's party scene. Polly was working as a male dancer at the infamous Gay Bar Capriccio's, which was further along Oxford Street, back towards the city. One night, Polly was having dinner with her friend Lee Jennings and asked if there were any jobs going at the Aubrey.
1: Till so goes, oh, you prepared to be a glassy? I mean, yeah, I just said, any jobs going? He goes, all right, I'll put you on the next week. And uh, so I started at the Aubrey Hotel as a glassy. And then, um, Sometimes, I, um, if it was a party night, I'd dress up in drag. <laughs> and they'd watch me. I'd make, all the, I'd make all the patrons put all the glasses on the bar instead of me, oh. <laughs> and then they got their kicks. They said, oh, you're out of control. We love this. <laughs> so then they made me work behind the bar. So I worked behind the bar for a few years, and then they went, went looking for a new manager, which would be one of our managers. So then I started managing the um, cocktail bar. Wow. And then later on, the whole Gary and me and Derek, we I mean, sort of shared um, management, the whole okay. bar.
0: Coincidentally, the very Gary Sanger, who oh worked with Polly at the Aubrey, calls her as we're standing on the street chatting.
1: <laughs> this is Gary. This is Gary, one of our um, managers. Oh, hi, Gary, you just ran at the right time. <laughs> I'm at the front of the Aubrey Hotel, and we're doing a podcast. <laughs> All right then, guys, I'm Sally, from Polly to Sally. Yeah, I've just told her about the summer party with the sand (laughs) Okay. (laughs) all right, guys, thanks for the call, darling. Oh yeah, the Bobby Goldsmith fundraiser, yeah. Ah yes, ah yes,
0: okay, I'll bring that up. Gary recalls the 1980s at the height of the AIDS epidemic and how the gay and lesbian community rallied together around the Albury. They'd throw big parties to fundraise for the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation and Lee and Nanette would match whatever the community could pull together.
1: So 10,000 go to 20,000. Yes, love all, right, all right. Have a great day. Bye, love.
0: During her 12 years at the Aubrey, Polly filled almost every role possible. She even spent some time working as security on the door.
1: Nanette, um... Just when the rules starting to change, put me through a a security course. Oh, wow. And I was um, there in my black shirt and black pants. And one Sunday, the Kylie show was on. And I saw this tall gentleman coming out of the Grand Pacific Blue Room, Mm -hmm. across Oxford Street, and asked me, would I be able to get in? And I went, oh, this is Pierce Brosnan. So really? I went, yeah, sure, I'd in. So I let him in the front door. He was there just happy on his own, didn't want to drink, and I'm just standing there watching the show. And then these English backpackers recognized him. And they, were, they came over and torturing him and oh. all that. And he went, I oh, was sorry mate, I've got to go So yeah, And then he left. Oh. So <laughs> that was about my wow. extensive um, story for the um, security. But her greatest role
0: debuted in 1991.
1: Lee came back from Palm Springs and said, now, Polly, I want to do a five o'clock tea dance. And I said, oh, all right, what do we have to do? He said, we have to get dressed up like mongrels and just do shows, to have shows and have fun. I mean, oh, all right. So we did that for three weeks. And Lee went, I'm over this kid. You're always having so much fun, I'm going to give it over to you.
0: Lee asked Polly what she'd like to call the show.
1: And I went, oh, Polly's Follies.
0: And in that moment, a drag institution was born. I'll tell you how I got named Polly. Polly first came out when she was 18 years old. At that time, she was studying ballroom dancing and dating her dance teacher, Philip.
1: He used to take me out on the gay scene, you know. With ballroom dancing a lot of the ha- girls have their gay hairdressers, so there's a lot of gay hairdressers. These hairdressers would have parties and demand that Philip bring the boyfriend. No one called me Craig, none of that. They all said, is Philip bringing the boyfriend? Is the boyfriend coming? Philip and the boyfriend are coming. It was always the boyfriend. Yeah. That's so why well, this movie came out, The Boyfriend. Twiggy's name in the movie The Boyfriend is Pollyanna. So all these hairdressers got together and went, "All right, we're going to have a ladies' auxiliary meeting." Philip, can you tell the boy your boyfriend? He's got a. We're going to put him in a, a little satin dress. So I get to this party and they put this silly dress on me and I thought, "What's this all about?" And they all had they all wigs and no makeup, no girly makeup, really. They plonked this wig on my head and they said, "I'll sit here." I went, "Why?" They said, "Sit here." So I sat down, they brought this great sponge cake out and smashed it over the wig over my head. And we christened thee Pollyanna. Christened <laughs>
0: with her gay name, Polly was born. So when Lee asked her years later what to name the new happy hour show, it came straight to her.
1: It's going to be your show, what would you like to call it? And I went, Oh, Polly's Follies just rolls straight out. And he goes, That sounds fabulous. All right, let's see if we call it Polly's Follies. He said, now, instead of having me, you have to get yourself a guest artist. So that's how it's been for the last 29 years. Um, Me and I have a guest artist. And then the other girls who come along, they, um, they do their numbers. Over the years, Polly's Follies
0: grew. And to be billed as part of the show was to make a grand entrance into Sydney drag. There was no stage. The drag queens would perform on the bar or in the middle of it. There were other regular drag shows too. Iconic Queens, Mitzi McIntosh and Cindy Pastel would perform and there was a Kylie Minogue tribute show called The Kylie Show. Kylie herself is quoted as saying that it wasn't until she snuck into the Albury and watched that drag tribute in the early 90s that she realised she'd become a gay icon. Despite the small space, the crew at the Aubrey didn't hold back from putting on huge
1: productions. Uh, we got this show together called Cinderfella. <laughs> Not Cinderella, Cinderfella. Polly has albums and albums of photos.
0: In this lot, you can see a decadent drag Cinderella show with beautiful princesses and ugly stepsisters.
1: That's Lee in his ball gown and me Mo. my... Gold tuxedo jacket and there's 3D and look at the hand painted oh. set. 3D painted that curtain with all that wonderful artwork on it. Look at Lee playing old poor old Cinderella in the dirty old <laughs> daggy oh, <yeah>. dress <laughs> with the big shoe and me as the prince. Look, me with the prince with the prince oh, yeah. of on.
0: Polly and Lee both had ballroom dancing backgrounds, so they swung around the bar together, Lee in Cinderella drag and Polly as the handsome prince.
1: Oh, and this Pat, me lifting up Pat gently, one of the ugliest step sisters. They knew how to do ugly makeup, didn't they? They knew how to do glam, but look at this ugly face. Oh. <laughs> And there's the girls in the second oh, half yeah, glamorized. Amazing. See how they went from, they've just tricked up their glamour. Ah, okay, yeah. The ugly makeup, now they put mm. colour and cleaned it all up. Now, oh, I look at you as the prince. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with us, the sunglasses <laughs> on it. I don't know what that number we were doing. I don't know what number we were doing with the sunglasses on, but it was something funny.
0: Nanette had a role too drag queens, owners, bar managers, all in costume.
1: We we're all family, and Lynn and Ed were the bosses, and that's it. And Oh, look, look how big the shoe was. I don't know where they got their shoe from. It was amazing.
0: But there was far more to the Aubrey than just drag. Move through the front bar and you'd come to the piano bar.
1: Oh my God, the piano bar. We um, didn't happen until about six o'clock at night and we'd always have a happy hour. And my little floozy, Kevin, <laughs> is my little boy there. How yeah, he got his name Floozy was, because he was from Tamworth, and he was a little country boy with his little VW. Comes to the big smoke. Of course, he's dropped dead gorgeous. I, was, I was sort of looked after him, like a little kid. You know, he knew in town, didn't he? And So, How he got Floozy was, when we finished work at the Albury, little Floozy would go down to the Exchange Hotel. and Because he was so gorgeous, he never, ever went home alone. <laughs> so I went, oh, just, you stop floozing around well the floozing started getting so we, the whole the whole of sydney court knew him floozy and even people overseas because when we have people traveling in australia from mardi gras and sleazeballs and all that they'll go oh that gorgeous little kevin he's gorgeous nice like floozy so we, everyone knew him his floozy so I worked with flusie for I don't know about 14 years or something we had a lot of fun together and uh, then there was me and Nanette Nanette used to get her high heels stuck in the floor mats and flusie and I'd get over get out and get her shoes out of those floor mats because it was just usually the three of us behind the bars we had a lot of fun yeah and it wasn't a big bar and then when you went from the actual bar area there was the doorway down to the change rooms and all locker rooms and all that down there and then went down a couple then there was a men's toilet opposite on the bar level and then you went down some stairs and there was the piano the grand piano and there was mirrors down there and then we'd have Hero Keith who used to sit at the piano and play and sing and we also used to have Silvana Benici she used to do instead of singing valare she go compare <laughs> oh, she saw all sing all this sort of mad stuff. Then we had Delilah. Delilah starts singing and singing and singing and didn't stop singing. Sometimes we have to say, Delilah, you gotta stop, we're closing <laughs> up. We're closing up, we've got to empty the room. She goes, oh, child, honey child, I'm not finished. Delilah, we're closing up, love.
0: There's something about the glitter and glamour of the Aubrey's heyday that makes every story Craig tells larger than life. The key to its success was actually very simple.
1: You cruise around the bar; it's a good cruising bar. Plus, you know, we had, you know, we had models in there. Some of the boys were models that were behind the bar. So the Beauchamp turned gay because it was packed over there. People used to go from here to over there. They didn't have the strays that the Aubrey had on. So this
0: was more or less a men's cruising bar. Yeah. As we set off from the Aubrey to walk down Oxford Street, it's clear Polly's not seeing the same shop fronts I'm seeing.
1: Now behind here I can't remember. There used to be a steam baths behind here. Ooh. And you go in this back lane, you go in the back lane, and it was in behind here. And I do believe the pool is still in the building. She passes coffee shops and
0: construction sites and waves her hand at them, explaining what time of night was the right time to visit.
1: This, was a, but now this is a very popular gay Thai restaurant everyone went to. The
0: street might have changed, but a lot of the same people still sit in the windows of the pubs that lie in Oxford Street. And Polly knows them all, teasing her friends as we walk past.
1: Here we are at the Columbia. There's Russ there, Russ's been. Oh Ross, she, she's still she's been around. She used to work at the uh, exchange hotel where Dawn O'Donnell was there. Oh really? Wow. Walla, 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 walla. Uh, that's where Pete's Beat was over there in the corner where it says Throwback. That was Pete's Beat down there. The bar it went down there to a bar Pete's Beat.
0: Okay. Well there's so many, there were so many places. Nothing
1: long, here. When we finish down this end of town. It was time to move up to the taxi club. So we'd be there at the taxi club, all the drag queens from late Girls would be there, all the cute taxi drivers, and all the screaming queens were there that didn't close till seven o'clock. But if you're still going, you can always go down to the Frisco at Woolamaloo. And the Navy boys finished work. So there was a bit of fun down there if you want to still keep going.
0: So that was a quiet night out, hey? <laughs> the Oxford Street Polly is describing was known then as the Gay Mile or the Golden Mile.
1: The, the gay bars in those days were gay bars. and like If a straight guy was seen walking around Oxford Street, he'd be set up gutless. What were you doing on the, the Gay Mile, you know? The Golden Mile, because Oxford Street was called the Golden Mile. Uh, King's Cross was called the Glitter Mile. I'd hear it from other friends. I said, oh, I just see so-and-so. <laughs> what was he doing in an Oxford Street? Great people wouldn't walk in there on their own because they'd be intimidated, you know, by the crowd and the carry-on and all that, you know.
0: In the mid-1990s, this started to change. The popularity of the film Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, suddenly made drag more mainstream.
1: That's when the girls wanted to go and see the drag shows. So that's That's when it sort of started happening.
0: It wasn't only Priscilla. There was less stigma around sexuality. You could party in the gay part of town without being outed as gay, and tourists and locals knew that the LGBTQI community threw the best parties. For the Aubrey, it was the end of an era. And in 2001, Nanette and Lee decided to sell up, And of course, they went out with a bang. So we're looking through a photo
1: album from the last night at the Aubrey, 2001. Yes, Al, this is Robert Rosen presented me this. He was, uh, Robert Rosen was the photographer for Vogue uh, magazine. He came along as uh, you weren't allowed to use cameras in the bars in those days. So we had Maz's image from the gay press there and Robert Rosen was doing his photos. And this opening shot is with me in the bar with all the balloons on the ceiling and all the people around the bar. The bodies packed around the bar in these pictures are a who's who of gay Sydney. Oh, here we go. Winise Mungle Beach. <laughs> Mitzi Macintosh, Dory Manganingi and Robin Lee. Robin used to work with me at There was dancing, singing and of course drag. Here's the birthday cake. You know, it's got all those Barbie dolls all dressed in drag with our names on them. <laughs> then it's got all those boys being like male dancers and then dancing around. And all of a sudden, at the bottom of it, it's got "Happy Birthday, Polly" because my ber- this is on the 31st of October, and my birthday's the 3rd November. Oh, so it's just a couple of days away. So they perfect timing. Included my. Uh, the closing and there's a lot of feathers on that cake as well. Yeah, plus all the feathered <laughs> headdresses and the booze and was, the, all the mini bottles. 3D made this cake, yeah, from Sweet Arts Sweet Arts Cake Shop in Mount Paddington. That's amazing. So, you could yeah. eat some part of it. You oh, you eat. could. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> After decades of drag extravaganzas, Polly is an icon in the LGBTQI community. These days, she can be anywhere and people will yell her catchphrase, ahoya, at her from across
1: the street. Where I got ahoya from was Hawaii. They say aloha. In Sydney, we go, oi, 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 oi. Well, I'm in Hawaii, a bit pissed. I went, ah, (laughs) ahoya. In 2019,
0: Polly went to World Pride in New York.
1: Six million tourists in New York. So there's a lot of Australians there, and even friends of mine who live in America come down from Sydney, Mardi Gras or balls. They've all come to Polly's. Polly's moved we down to Christmas Street there because the lineups getting in the bar went forever. As
0: Polly and her friends waited to get into Stonewall, a taxi full of people drove past.
1: They saw me in the street. and They screamed, Ahoy! <laughs> and then another time we were further up uh, uptown and I was crossing that pedestrian crossing and some other friends saw me and just streamed out the t- <laughs> I went oh God this is hysterical. <laughs> it's so much fun.
0: With the Aubrey Hotel closed, Craig moved Polly's follies to the Venus room at the cross and then to the exchange Hotel before landing at the Stonewall Hotel
1: near Taylor Square. Here we are at Stonewall hey. and the new home of Follies. Yeah, and my poster goes in here when we're on. Um, this is where, for the last 15 years, I've been doing my Polly's Follies. Thanks Nature. to Glenn Hanson, Candy, who asked me to come up when I was, um, when I finished down at the Exchange Hotel. So, this is where I've been for the last 15 years doing Polly's Follies and two days behind the bar. Oh, <laughs> so good. Polly's Follies
0: is still a place where anyone who wants to try drag can get up and give it a go.
1: Well, that's what Polly's Follies is. It's not a competition. Yeah. Mine's more like where you can come up and have a go. Right. If someone might dare to get in drag for a party, a birthday or something, you can come up and have drag. You can do a few numbers and I'll give them free drinks. and, that. and uh, So there's no competition, so there's no pressure. There are those one-offs,
0: the dares and the birthday parties. But if someone is serious about getting into drag, Polly will take them aside and give them some tips.
1: The other kids who are doing the show with me and they don't like this person, they might have terrible BO or something like that. <laughs> a little Sarah Tape has tells them, oh, oh, you need refresh, you need refresh. Or, <laughs> well we might give them some good hints of you know, if they're a bit serious about it. Yeah. Otherwise don't bother coming back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: On stage at Polly's Follies on any given Sunday, you'll see guest acts by drag legends, and of course, Polly in all her splendour. But you could also witness the seeds of the next generation of drag performers.
1: I got my Dawn Services, my Sarah Taipazes, my Phoebe Glam Coxes, <laughs> and my casual guest stars like 3D and all those. Things. We like to have it in the family.
0: For Polly, drag isn't about competing or being the best. It's about experimenting with identity, performance, and style.
1: Everyone has their own gift. And that's what Polly's Folly is about, bringing out the gift. Don't give a stuff, if you stuff it up, don't worry about it, you be all right next time.
0: Yeah, and I guess there's a space to discover how you do drag. Yeah, try it, try something, try it. On.
1: Try. Give that a go if it doesn't work you can do, try it another way.
0: Thanks for listening to If These Walls Could Talk. For more nightlife stories from the world of Red Bull, head to redbull.com forward slash nightlife.